It's a pleasure to have you here, Jason. I just wonder a little bit, who are you, what do you do for a living, where do you work, and what jurisdictions are you based in? Sure, sure. So uh, I'm, I'm happy to be here with you. Like you said, my name is Jason Rhodes. I am currently a senior manager with KPMG here in the U.S., uh, working out of the Washington, D.C. office, where I focus. I'm in the trade and customs group and focus on uh, international sanctions. Um, we have a, a, a strong practice and uh, I recently came over from a, a global law firm where I was sanctions counsel. And prior to that was a compliance officer for OFAC. What kind of restrictions have the U.S. government imposed on on you during this crisis of the coronavirus and COVID-19? You know, the federal restrictions that the that the U.S. government puts on are really a, a lot less and, and more of a, a suggestion than what the local jurisdictions and, and actually the companies themselves place on people. So the, I, I don't believe really the federal government has restricted much, although I think we're told that we should not be traveling internationally. But living in D.C., our local government has basically said that uh, – all non-essential businesses have to be closed, so everyone is working from home if they can work. Uh, KPMG itself, even though my uh, office is in Virginia, where they don't have such strict rules in place, has taken a more strict approach, and the office in uh, where I work out of has been closed, and everyone is working remotely, pretty much like you would be hunkered down uh, in a bomb shelter, it seems like. How big is the team you work with at the KPMG? Well, the trade and customs practice, we probably have around 200 team members uh, across the U.S., and uh, we also have an international trade and customs uh, practice that is, that is global. My my local team is probably about 10 or so, but I work really closely with the rest of our team members uh, in the U.S. That's, that's one of the things that is kind of blunted the impact of the coronavirus quarantines that we're all in. We're all used to working with each other uh, remotely and you know, from uh, teammates with teammates in other offices. So yes, it's a, it's a pain uh, in our non-working lives and a little bit of pain in our professional lives. But I think that we are probably better suited to handle these difficulties than I know a lot of people are. Sounds like there's pretty comprehensive restrictions that resonate with what's happening here in the UK. Are, are you seeing financial institutions who might be your clients or where you've got fellow ACAM friends working doing the same thing? Yes, yes, I, I have. And it's, I was thinking about this a little bit earlier. It's, um, you know, working as a consultant, I have some of the same issues that impact the financial industry as a whole, but I think that they feel them uh, much more acutely there where, you know, you have employers wanting to keep their employees safe and wanting everyone to stay healthy and also wanting to keep uh, the work moving so that people can continue to get paid and, and do their jobs. But there are issues with data privacy, technology infrastructure in general that make it difficult for some people to transfer you know, from an office environment doing their jobs to doing them remotely. And so, yes, I, yes there are people who – I know several people who have these, these – are dealing with these restrictions right now, and it can be – uh, you know, employers do their best to make sure that you can do your job when you're not there, but there are just some natural uh, hindrances that make it not as efficient, maybe sometimes not as effective when you're having to work from home. So definitely I've, I've seen some stress. 
let's focus now on sanctions. In different jurisdictions, we're hearing about messaging coming from regulators in terms of their expectations. And I know there was some communication from one of the American regulators around transaction monitoring, for example. Is anything coming from either OFAC or the BIS or, say, even Treasury about what they're expecting financial institutions should do as far as sanction screening goes? Well, you know, not in the way that maybe you would hope. Uh, recently, what we've been seeing from the regulators, I informally anyway, is a, a reminder that obligations do not suspend when people are not able to be at work, you know, reminding people that this is a time when things could happen and that we need to remain vigilant and do all we can to keep the processes in place and enhance processes to ensure that you know we're identifying and interdicting financial crime and sanctions violations in particular uh, going forward. So I've, I've seen a little bit of messaging from the regulators, but may not have been the comforting uh, messaging that we might have hoped for. So the trade-related stuff, your area of specialty, I know there's a case going through the courts right now. Hopefully you guys aren't involved with it, but I've been fascinated to watch it, and it has to do with the end users of a turbine that was purchased from the United States and how they're trying right. to conceal that shipment. What the businesses need to think about as part of the sanction monitoring activities where clearly simply putting a name through a list isn't going to be enough. No, you're, you're right. And that's, you know, you bring up a couple of good points. One is, is you're absolutely right that, that simple name matching is not enough anymore. And, you know, that, that's something we have heard from, or we've run into this same issue with some of our clients who are uh, maybe not used to going as deeply as the financial institutions have and, not, and, and historically not having that information available to them like you would have in financial messaging. So it's, it's definitely an issue, and it's something that people are becoming more aware of with these enforcement actions. And then we also try to go out and, and you know, let people know what trends are before enforcement actions come along, because that's not the way you, you don't prefer to learn uh, through your own enforcement action. But the second thing that, that came to mind when you brought this up was with the global economy slowing down because everyone is having to work from home and you know, certain jobs can't be done and everyone's afraid to go out, with the slowdown of economic conditions, it naturally leads to everyone, or not everyone, but a great many people looking for whatever ways they can uh, make extra money. And for sanctioned countries in particular, uh, circumventing sanctions and other financial crimes like money laundering become more important right now when they're in such you know, dire straits. People have been talking about their concerns around financial crime more in relation to, say, consumer abuse and people being defrauded directly in relation to the coronavirus. But, you know, do you see any risks in terms of evasive tactics during this period of time where it's just not possible to be working business as usual? Yes, I don't think you can do business as usual. I think that you can address these issues. You just have to do more customer due diligence and deeper customer due diligence and extra knowing your customer. I think it's kind of a, a strange, I don't want to say coincidence, but it's, it's kind of an odd time an odd timing that these sorts of you know, trade-based issues have been gathering more enforcement attention lately. And then to have this sort of coronavirus uh, fiasco happen, 
exacerbates the desire on behalf of those who do this sort of trade-based, you know, fraud or, or circumvention crime to increase it. So it's a it's a it's a strange timing of events. The way that we've done things in the past is not necessarily going to be the way things need to be done in the future. Just touching upon that a little bit, Jason, because going back to a little bit about you mentioned doing more due diligence, doing more KYC, doing more screening. What's your view on technology for that? Well, I don't think that technology in itself is is like the answer. However, I think that technology can be so helpful in advancing these, you know, KYC and customer due diligence efforts that we have that we need to be paying more attention to. And just off the top of my head, I think about some of the, you know, sanction screening solutions that are coming out right now. I know that uh, we at KPMG have been working on some of these and actually have a tool out of the UK right now that uses uh, machine learning to make sh- to kind of do a first and second level review of potential alerts to weed out the obvious false positives and give people more time to focus their energies on you know the real potential matches and doesn't you know have them inundated with false positives so they're just used to clicking false 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 and then you know missing the right thing so i d- i don't think that you know technology is only as good as the people behind it and the people using it. However, I think that there have been some great advances and there is a great opportunity to leverage some recent advances in technology uh, in order to you know, reduce the amount of financial crime. So I just wanted to follow up on that because uh, when it comes back to understanding technology and use of technology, in my experience, there's an issue when you try to explain to your regulator uh, or to the, what kind of uh, reg tech you're using or what kind of systems you're using, how the algorithms are uh, structured and what kind of output and input data that you actually use. So. Being based here up in the Nordics, I mean, my experience is that our uh, our regulators might not be that on top of the things. Could I please get your view on on how the U.S. Sure. regulators use that? Sure, and it's it's not just a, a problem in the Nordic countries. That's all. It's absolutely a problem in the U.S. where you have a lot of regulators who may not have the experience in the private sector, or if they did, may not be up on the latest technology. That's just not what they do. I think that companies are trying to deal with that in in ways that they can. I think that having things structuring your technology solutions in such a way that they're auditable is very important. You know, you need to be able to go back and trace how did we arrive at this answer or at the, you know, at this conclusion. I think that that goes a long way in helping regulators gain more comfort. What they don't want is just a black box where you say, you know, I'm going to put in my question to this you know, magic eight ball. I don't know if you have those into the, in the Nordic countries. We're going to shake it up and you're just going to trust whatever answer comes out. Uh, so you need to have some way of verifying and explaining to the regulators how you arrived at a decision once that decision has been reached. And when you can do that, in my experience, yes, it's still difficult. Difficult, uh, to get regulators on board with new technologies, but it helps. You could look into your risk management box and go, this is a thing you all need to be really mindful of once this crisis has subsided to make sure you address that straight away or that you're watching that in the meantime. What bit of risk-related advice might you give people to be thinking about now for when things go back to normal? 
I think that right now there is a tendency on some companies to say that this things are so dire at this moment and we're so risk averse, it's easier for us and we feel more comfortable just, you know, closing the spigot and saying we're not going to deal with any risk at all. That's not a long-term solution to things. If you want to clam up now, if you want to tighten things for now uh, because of the exigency of the circumstances, I think that's defensible. But I think that you need to be considering when things are better, the ways in which you can address some of these, these things up front. Like I'm thinking end-user certifications. Those are such a simple, a simple thing to ask for and a simple thing to put in place that uh, a lot of companies are just now coming around to uh, understanding the importance of. So doing things on the front end like that, training your people. Right now you're focused on control, 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 control. But when you have a little bit more time, let's focus on training. And I think that in-use statements is kind of a way to do that to your suppliers or to your customers. You know, that is not only a protection for you, but it's also something telling them what their obligations are. So I think that there are some steps that you can start to think about taking once things get a little less crazy. In order to end this on a bit of a positive note, we are changing the way we work, we are changing the way we travel, and the, we are changing the way how we social interact with each other and, and so forth. So I just wondered, one positive idea or initiative that you would really encourage other financial crime professionals to embrace over this trying time and this coming period? Yes, I think, and I'm glad you asked me that. So my background, you know, when I was at OFAC was uh, dealing strictly with financial institutions. And uh, I did a lot of that as, uh, as an attorney at a law firm as well. And now at KPMG, I'm able to focus um, more broadly and have, do a lot of work with non-financial institutions, so with, with the financial institution's customers. Over the years, there has been a maybe a, a slightly adversarial relationship between the customers of financial institutions and the financial institutions themselves when it comes to financial crime and the responsibilities there. And I think that we need to work more together, uh, more collaboratively. I think that there's a lot of opportunity there uh, for some for some collaboration that we don't normally see, and to kind of lessen the adversarial. Uh, you know, either I'm going to get in trouble or you're going to get in trouble. You know, we need to figure out which one of us is going to take the blame when something goes wrong. Uh, that's not the way to, uh, I, th I think, advance the cause of uh, of economic sanctions and controls. So I think you know, going forward, and, and I think that the coronavirus also kind of you know more broadly gets people to think about the important things and how we can work together for a common goal. And so I hope that this acts in favor of or to, to further the thought that we don't always need to be pitting ourselves against one another, but working together towards a common goal. And I think that uh, that is really needed in the financial crime uh, compliance world. Jason, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. I understand we are coming up to the time that your dog needs to be taken for a walk, so we will let you go. It's been my pleasure. I appreciate it. Yeah.